Welcome, screensavers. I'm Michael Gallant. I'm Matt Sturdivant. I'm Tyler Sitkus. Together, we host the Silver Screensavers podcast, and today we are discussing a movie we've all been waiting for, then forgetting about, then waiting for again, then forgetting about, and then waiting for again to see. It's Avatar, The Way of Water, James Cameron's return to film after 13 years, and the start, question mark, of his epic Avatar series, he's put all his chips behind this one, all his time behind this one. Even he doesn't really seem certain that it's all going to pan out, which, hey, there are no guarantees in this business. First, of course, it's our weekly watch list, weekly check-in. What have you guys been watching? What have you guys been up to, Matt? I only watched one other thing besides Avatar this week, and that was After Sun. Mm-hmm. The, um, it's a little indie drama from Charlotte Wells. I believe it's a new director spotlight. Am I, am I right about that, Mike? You're 100% right. Yeah, starring Paul Mescal and Frankie Corio, a couple of Scottish actors. So, Mike, what's After Sun about? All right, After Sun, it's about a woman in her 30s. She's remembering a trip she took with her father to Turkey when she was 11 and he was about to turn 31. Could have said it better myself. Anyway, I I really enjoyed this movie. It... it it took a little bit for it to, for me to kind of get into the the flow of it. It, it, it does meander at times, but it, it's shot and it's told through a very nostalgic lens. It takes place in like the late 90s, so you get a lot of the culture beats there. Um, but it's it's told in such a way that like it, you're you're watching this young young girl kind of like the precipice of starting to grow up a bit, and her father who has a lot on his plate, but he's doing the best he can to provide this kind of to to provide this trip for his daughter. Uh, but glimpses of his inner self kind of start to poke through as the as the movie goes on. Um, it's very emotional. It's very riveting. At least it was for me. But um, I I really enjoyed it. Just the the cinematography was great the acting was fantastic the story once it hit it really hit and i'm curious to watch this again knowing how it all plays out yeah i i unfortunately didn't connect to this movie at all it's very much like nope Uh, if you listen to our episode on that it's a movie that i can understand intellectually the emotional connections the style it's all great hats off to charlotte wells she did a fantastic job and i i totally understand why people are heartbroken over this it didn't move me at all it just did not work for me narratively it is you know it's very impressive in that there's so many layers to it right you have just the father-daughter relationship you have her both as an 11 year old and then later in her 30s discovering her father's mental health issues and you have him trying to be a good father while also kind of um keeping his demons at bay at least for like this you know i I don't know if it was like a week or two weeks that they were in turkey um one of my problems is that it's just too meandering and it's very smartly scripted and i understand why all the scenes were in there, but I, there were too many like long shots of activities that I thought weren't compelling and really did not need to be as long as they were. And I'm like, okay, we we can move on now. It, it just was, you know, I wasn't fascinated by the script, the central relationship between the two, and the nuances. Great drama, great fodder for conversation. I just didn't really enjoy watching it. It's one of those, like you said, Paul Mescal and Frankie Corio are both great. Uh, I, he, I noticed he was particularly good at like acting physical pain. It just, mm-hmm. it's, he seemed like a person who was in pain the whole movie. The movie is just not for me, but I don't, I don't mean that critically, if you know what I mean. It was just not my cup of tea, but it was a very good movie. I just, I wanted to add that it also, like it, it had a lot of little moments that, that, that kind of triggered my nostalgia sense um, in one particular scene where like she's up there doing karaoke at like this this like cheap little resort that like it kind of reminded me of being a kid and like got this campground that my family and I went to one year um little beats like that and like her bonding with the kid over the 
the motorbike arcade game. Yeah. Um, player of the year, by the way, Michael. Yeah, Michael had more game than any man I've ever seen on film. Yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, it's just little stuff like that. It does meander. It does kind of bask in the setting. It, it really takes its time in the setting, which if you're... If you have the patience for it, it's it's rewarding. But I understand it's not for everyone. That type of that type of pacing isn't necessarily for everyone. Yeah, and you also, when you were young, did REM for karaoke, but you did Shiny Happy People, so that was <laughs> it was a very close comparison. No, I did Crazy Train by Ozzy Osbourne when I was a kid. Did you really? That and um, TNT by ACDC, I believe, was the other one. <laughs> so, like, all the, all, all like, the 40, 40 somethings in the campground the rest of the weekend, yeah! they were all like, they were like, go, Matt, yeah. yeah. And, like, high five and stuff. I got a question. Did you do the all aboard? <laughs> yes, I did. I, I, I. That's hilarious. My hat's off to you. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I watched a couple of new things. Uh, I watched Triangle of Sadness, finally. I've been meaning to get to this one. Anyone unfamiliar, it's about a young couple. One is a male model. One is an influencer. They have relationship troubles. They find themselves on a private yacht trip. It goes horribly wrong. This one, the Palme d'Or, this year at Cannes. It was written and directed by Ruben Ostlin. did movies like Force Majeure, The Square. He's known for these social commentaries that are often very deeply uncomfortable. This is no exception. This movie is split into three pretty distinct parts. I'll tell you, the first hour, I was electrified. I was giggling. I was jumping on my couch. Rented this on VOD, by the way. The first part involves a fight over the paying of a check at a restaurant between the couple. If you've ever experienced anything even remotely close to that in your life, which I suspect many of us have, you will relate to this. For the first two parts... You know, there, there's kind of this this commentary of, like, rich people are spoiled and thoughtless kind of thing. It's funny. It works narratively. I wouldn't say it's anything groundbreaking. Perhaps I haven't thought enough about it to really get all the nuances. And at the same time, I don't need movies to make grand statements. It worked narratively, so that was fine for me. At a certain point, maybe after, like, an hour or a little more than an hour, my enjoyment, like, grinded to a halt. There comes a part that it's a big turning point. I didn't find it very amusing. I know other people did. And then, like, it just kind of drags for a while. The third part rebounds a bit. I never liked it as much as I did in the beginning. But it was fascinating. Um, it's very thought-provoking in the end. I would recommend it when it comes to streaming. The writing and acting are all very good. Your mileage may vary as far as enjoying it the whole time. I also watched, you guys ready for this title? Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths. That is the full title. You'll see why in a second. This is, it's tough to say what this movie is about because it's one of those movies that just kind of, and I don't mean this in a bad way, meanders through various aspects of one person's life. And that person is Silverio Gama, who is a documentarian and a semi-fictional stand-in for the directive, Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu. Filmmaker I'm always excited for. He made Birdman, which is a movie I deeply love. You know, he made The Revenant, Amores Peros, 21 Grams. And this is kind of the latest, I would say, Netflix, we're going to throw a ton of money at an auteur and they can just make whatever the hell they want. And we still have White Noise coming later uh, this year. I have mixed feelings about this movie. He co-wrote it with Nicolas Giacobone, who co-wrote Birdman. And like I said, it's it's just Silverio moving through the emotional crises of his life. He's a documentarian, a filmmaker who lives in Los Angeles, originally from Mexico, has complications surrounding his American and Mexican identities, the perceptions of other people surrounding his heritage, maybe some selling out of his culture, choices he's made in relation to having to adopt different identities to succeed as an artist, right? His relationship to his art. And then, like, his whole family, his wife, his parents, his documentary subjects, his kids. I would say one of the most affecting aspects of the film is that there is some time spent on him and his wife, who years and years ago, um, 
experienced the death of an infant son and it's never really left them. That stuff was really affecting. One thing to note, this movie is very surreal. It is like a puzzle box where you have to kind of watch for a while and accept that you don't understand everything that's going on. But so many elements come back and connect later. It was kind of like After Sun in that way. But as whereas After Sun is incredibly realist, this is surreal, right? There's all kind of weird stuff happening in, in the midst of the drama. I really enjoyed this movie. I connected to a lot of it. This movie premiered at Venice, and it was lambasted as self-indulgent and too long, which is interesting because this is Inyaritu's next movie after The Revenant, which was, I think, what, seven years ago at this point? Yeah, it's a 2015 one. Mm -hmm. And he won the Academy Award for Best Director for the second year in a row this year. Um, so he is beloved by the Academy, and I think this was expected to be you know, a well-loved project by him, and it's not. People hated it so much. I understand the criticisms of self-indulgence and too long. I heard so much bad, bad press for this. I was prepared not to like it. I admire this, though. Not everything is great. It, it was cut down from, like, three hours to, like, 235 or something like that. It could still be cut down quite a bit. But I'm very positive on what I like. The parts I connected with, I really connected with. Uh, Daniel Jimenez Gacho incredible he has to carry this nearly three hour surreal personal drama and he does it really beautifully as far as the filmmaking allows him to right he doesn't totally save all the dull parts um, but he's very good it's on netflix i wouldn't recommend it to your average viewer but if you're in the mood for a strange but i don't, I don't know if heartfelt's the word a very personal exploration of a man's later life this is the movie for you i have one to add that okay. i forgot to mention please do I watched The Banshees of Inishirin. Oh, sweet. Which, um, you talked about this a couple weeks ago, didn't you, Mike? Yes, I did. Uh, yeah, stellar performances from Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell, respectively. As well as a really, really charming performance from Carrie Condon. Who, Love her. Um, I think, I mean, I'm going to echo all the stuff you said when you talked about it, Mike. It's just very, it's like genuine, it's heartfelt it 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 just it's funny it's like darkly funny mm -hmm. honestly but i i watched this in belfast recently and <laughs> oh interesting double feature not not back to back but in within the last month or so and i would say one is was a significantly better allegory for the irish civil war than the other well <laughs> okay that's I, I would well not, not that one was a better allegory i liked they're both allegorical movies about the Irish Civil War, but this one I liked significantly more than Belfast. I, I wasn't a huge fan of Belfast. I liked it significantly more than Belfast as well. I I, I liked Belfast. That you, the, My tone tells you everything. I liked Belfast. Objectively, um, Belfast is good, but I wasn't. Yeah, it's good. It's not like, no. I don't know many people that are over the moon about it. Judy yeah. Dench is going to kick your asses. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dame Judy Dench. Put some respect on the name, man. You think that wouldn't be the first thing that I mention on the next episode of the pod? <laughs> we were walking on the streets of Amherst and, Jane, and uh, Dame Judy Dench showed up and kicked our ass. You didn't like Belfast, didn't you? <laughs> That's funny. I got one more, I, one that I, I'd, I'd like to talk to somebody about because it was it was very, very thought provoking. This is we're all going to the World's Fair. Have you guys heard of this one at all? I've heard it. Heard of yeah, it. I've heard of it. I've heard of it too. I um, I've been wanting to check it out, but every time I look, it's got like some pretty mixed reviews. So I'm a little skeptical. Let me tell you a little bit about it. So this is about a lonely teenage girl who completes an internet challenge which involves a mass multiplayer online horror game and she finds herself down a strange rabbit hole involving another player and her own mysterious intentions this is the feature film debut so a new director spotlight for jane schoenbrunn who wrote directed edited this is on hbo max for anyone interested it's a really fascinating movie so the impression that I got before I watched this was that this would be about a girl who does an internet challenge and then weird paranormal stuff would start happening. Would you, would you guys think that that's the general impression that you got? That's what it sounds yeah. like. 
Yeah. It's not that at all. Like, at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more about... So she does the internet challenge. She starts doing more videos. And it's really just about the strange interactions and the obsessions that can happen on the internet. It's very cleverly filmed and paced. Anna Cobb is the star of it. This is her movie debut. She was awesome. She was completely convincing as this lonely team who gets caught up in this this really internet black hole that she has to go down. She does a lot of different modes. You you never really know who this character is because she really keeps you on your toes. I'm telling you, you got to watch out for her. She's going to be great. And then Michael J. Rogers is very good as well. He plays this this older gentleman character that the Anna Cobb character um, chats with online. And he is like very haunting and strange and like... They're really the only two characters in the movie that appear that like aren't in videos, and you don't you don't know who either of them are. I, really, really fascinating movie. It's it's a movie that you're not done with once once it stops. Right? It's you gotta roll this around in your brain for a little bit. I wouldn't recommend it just for like oh it's a good time horror movie. I wouldn't even really call it a horror movie. It's maybe more like a I, I don't know it's there's no real genre for it or i would have to think a little bit more about what it is but if you're looking for something thought-provoking and pretty unsettling and pretty like unique to the modern internet era era where you can just really get caught down these big rabbit holes i would say watch it and see what you think it's only like an hour and a half um i'd really like to see what jane schoenbrunn does next so I, uh, a recommend from me i thought this was very fascinating Speaking of unsettling, I saw on Facebook today that they're putting Skinamarink into theaters in January. I'm so sorry. I need to see it in a dark theater. Everybody go watch the trailer for Skinamarink and see how long you last because I didn't even make it through. I think I think they're doing that the same week that Megan comes out, though. So we're going to have some uh, decision to make. Uh, I mean, I'm seeing both. Yeah. So it'll be a scary weekend for me. I think they both look good. I think Megan looks good. Yeah, me too. I have no doubt it'll be better than last um, last year's first weekend movie that we was saw. The 355. That was the 355. I thought you were going to say the last James Wan involved project, Malignant. Oh, I love Malignant. <laughs> All right, let's move to what the people came for, Avatar. Avatar 2 The Way of Water came out, or just Avatar The Way of Water. Let's talk a little bit about Avatar first, the original. Came out way back in 2009. James Cameron had a smash career with the Terminator films, Aliens, True Lies, The Abyss. Capped it off in 97 with Titanic, which was the highest box office hit ever. And I would say probably the last signature American cinematic artifact. Like, the level of obsession with that movie and how big it was and how iconic it is, I can't think of anything that came after it that matched it. You could say, like, Marvel and stuff with, like, Endgame and whatever, but I, I think that's a little different, um, and that's not, not me taking anything away from Marvel. I, just, I think that's a little bit different. I can't think of anything that matches Titanic in the sense of, like, cultural artifact. Uh, are you guys fans of James Cameron and his movies? Absolutely. He gave us Terminator 2 and Aliens. So just based on that alone, he has the greatest directorial career of all time. Uh, no, but I love James Cameron. I love a lot of his movies. How'd you guys feel about the original Avatar? Because he, you know, 97, he does uh, Titanic. 12 years later, comes out with Avatar and he breaks his own record and it's like it's a really weird film to become like the highest grossing movie ever so i what did you guys think at the time have you had a relationship over the years with it matt what's what's going on with you and avatar well first of all i just want to i just want to say and this is i know this is an unpopular stance to have but i think james cameron is just a touch overrated I, I just can't agree. I just can't agree. His filmography isn't flawless. I mean, he's he's had some really good that have kind of overshadowed the not as good. I can't stand Titanic, personally. I think it's boring. 
I just do not like Titanic. You need all. to watch the scene where Billy Zane flips the table and then report back, but go ahead. No no movie needed to be sold on two separate VHS tapes. <laughs> it's an epic. It's a historical Is, is that epic. your problem with it? You're like, there's too many VHS tapes. This movie's <laughs> I have to flip the tape. Avatar would be like six of them. I'm sorry, Way of Water would be like six of them. No, that's not my gripe. I just, I, I just never cared for Titanic growing up. Never had any that's connection fair. to it. As far as the original Avatar... It was cool. I liked it when it came out. The visuals were were pretty groundbreaking at the time, and the story was fine. Um, I remember liking it, and then I never thought about it again for about 12 years until last Friday when I was sitting in the chair for Avatar The Way of Water. Uh, I just, I just did not... I just... For those 12 years, 13 years, I just did not care about the story. It could have been a one and done. I would not have, it would not have made a difference to me. Um, but again, I, I think in Way of Water, minor spoiler is a big perpetrator of this. James Cameron hides behind like flashy groundbreaking technology, which not, not that that's nothing to sneeze at. But I, I think he uses that to compensate for lackluster storytelling in some cases. Not all cases, but well, certainly certain some cases. cases. Yeah, Tyler, what, what do you think of Avatar 2009? So this movie, I remember at the time being like, wow, that was awesome. Like, that was so cool. And then just like years later, I don't even remember a single thing that happened. And like the world collectively like did not remember this movie. And the, the, I remember getting like rave press and everything at the beginning. And then like a few years later, everyone's like, yeah, that's a crappy movie. Avatar sucks. <laughs> like it's such a ship. And like, like you said, Matt, this isn't a movie I thought about much afterwards. Like I remember like. I just randomly think, like, hmm, remember when Avatar came out, like, ten years ago? When are we getting an Avatar 2? <laughs> Thought we were supposed to get, like, six of these. And that's really all I thought about it. So, just, like, a movie I enjoyed at the time, as a small child. I was 13, so I wasn't, like, a tiny child. But I thought it was cool, and then just did not think much about it afterwards. So, I... Like you guys, I remember liking it over a decade ago. I, I was amazed by Pandora. You know, I, I remember watching first scenes for the first time and going, wow, like this is incredible. I also remember, so this is what I used to do is I would, and I still do it now, I would go on Wikipedia and I would go on like actors pages that I liked and I would scroll down to their filmography to see if they had anything coming up. And I remember doing that, I don't know whose page, but like, for Avatar, and this was in 2009, and I saw that Avatar 2 was supposed to come out in 2012. And in 2009, <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, that's such a long time away. <laughs> and little did I know that I would have to wait a little longer. I watched Avatar again recently, and just on a surface level, I'll get a little deeper in a second. On a surface level, I think it's one of the signature block busters of the 21st century it i i think it as a vision as a spectacle holds up it's visually unbelievable it was on my television it's well directed edited the script and plotting i think the plot is better than what we got in the second one we'll get to that shortly the script is um not the best to say the least and that is where you run into snags it's very shaky when you dive deeper. The dialogue is quite bad in spots. Are That's you telling not the... me a movie that has unobtainium is has bad dialogue? <laughs> well, it's you're absolutely right. And the kind of bigger problem is is that it it gets very uh, questionable when you when you look at it a little closer. I mean, this movie it's it's a classic white savior movie, right? This mm. white culture infiltrator movie you know dances with wolves last samurai all those but like it's odd because it's a made-up alien race who are blue but they're humanoid 
And there are so many typical beats of like this imperialist allegory, which, you know, you can apply and it, it's so, so it just gets very like, oh, oh, when you mm. when you look closer at it and you're like, oh, this is this is kind of um, I don't know what the word is, but not not great. Right. And it's it's so pro environment and anti military at the same time. Um, so I, it feels like the analysis of the movie is more complicated than the movie itself aspires to be. It, it is just space dances with wolves. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's kind of that's kind of what I'm getting at. It's like it nothing wrong with the spectacle, but I think people put too much stock in James Cameron as a name. Yeah, but no one's putting stock in his name because of spectacle. Like no one's like Terminator Two is the most gorgeous looking movie imaginable, and that's why we love it. Like he's not just all spectacle. The Avatar films are, but his work as a whole isn't. I I yeah. I mean, I I don't mean I don't mean to color his entire body of work because I'm. I I agree that Aliens and the Terminator movies are both fantastic and well-deserved but i'm well-deserved praise for those but i'll i'll all i was getting at is it's not as flawless as people act i don't think so either i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of split both of you with an example of true lies right movie about arnold schwarzenegger is a spy married to jamie lee curtis um kind of ends up as a mr and mrs smith kind of thing right i love that movie it has these incredible scenes. I do really love a lot of the kind of, you know, husband and wife stuff between them. But then there is some like really xenophobic, Islamophobic stuff in there related to the villains. And so it's, it's again, it's like these stories, you're right, do often have these flaws. Um, but, you know, it's there are these pure entertainment vehicles, right? Kind of say, maybe same with Titanic. Matt, you're not super into it, but it's like, there's no denying that that it's just like, wow, how did you even do this? How did you make this? Um, so yeah, I, I agree there. I, I'll agree with you that there are, is most often something wrong with his scripts. And unfortunately. what I, th- what I think people need to understand is he is one of the bluntest filmmakers imaginable. Like, you don't have to look for his message. He's beating you over the head with it. So, like, yeah. I feel like mm. people, like, are, like, surprised by, like, how brash he is. And it's like, if you watch his movies, you can kind of tell. He's not, mm-hmm. he's not like, hiding behind it. He's up front with it. Well, speaking of which, we're going to get to Avatar 2 right now. So, Jake and Neytiri, who are the Navi married couple now from the first one, they have some kids. But then the colonel... He returns, and he's seeking revenge on Jake. Jake has to move his family to the seaside of Pandora, where they must find a new home amongst the the ocean Navi. James Cameron directed and wrote with Rick Jaffa and Amanda Silver. Jaffa and Silver are a married couple writing duo. They did, like, the new Planet of the Apes movies. Amanda Silver wrote The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, one of the most bonkers movies I've ever seen in my life. I love it, Miss Silver. Thank you very much. Matt, what did you think of Avatar 2? Well, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna knock it. It is a great spectacle, and the story is pretty serviceable for what it is. Um I I knew going into it, it I was gonna think it was gonna be too long, and I do think it is too long for its own good. Mm-hmm. I thought the story was fine. I was able to mostly follow the events of this current movie although it does way too much and that, that's part of the prop runtime problem is it does way too much to try and build up all this lore that just yeah. didn't fully connect with me didn't i didn't fully catch on to it it just it throws so much lore at you you can't really follow it all that well so eventually i just kind of shut my brain off to that stuff um that I presume might be built on in the next movies, but at the end of the day, I kind of don't care still much like I didn't, I stopped caring about the first avatar not long after that. Overall it's solid. I'm not in a rush to go watch it again. It it's fine. Uh, the technical aspects and the spectacle of it are really the highlights of it because those underwater motion capture shots, those are all pretty fantastic. Although 
the visuals almost go too good where it like stops being <laughs> it stops being a live action movie or it stops feeling like a live action movie and more like I've seen this all over the place now more like a video game cutscene in a lot in certain places so it's funny because i've heard so many people saying that but i don't you guys tell me if you agree that was my exact thought as i was watching it i feel like i'm watching a commercial for bioshock 6 right now <laughs> which i mean cool it, it still looks visually entertaining but again yeah. um again we go back to james cameron going all in on spectacle this time around and having kind of a half-baked script and story serviceable but half-baked if that makes sense tealer so this movie was far too long just gonna say that off the bat i we we saw this on friday it is now as of recording tuesday and we're still in the theater watching this movie (laughs) it's and it's not even like we're enjoying ourselves like we did with marcel where we had that moment of of community where the marcel the shell credits were just playing and then nobody was standing up for like a solid five minutes <laughs> no but this movie was it was entertaining i will give it that the spectacle was there you know pandora looked beautiful the underwater scenes were incredible and the the climax fight scene was cool too i'll give it that that's that's mostly where my praise is for it <laughs> The, the story was like nonsensical like the lore i could not get into so i ended up just like leaving that in the back burner mm. like i'm not even gonna try to understand what half these people are talking about and i think that kind of did a disservice not watching the original avatar again before this i was so lost on a bunch of mm-hmm. who these characters were supposed to be i agree and just i'm gonna throw this out there having sigourney weaver voice a child was a very <laughs> weird choice yeah yeah the, the her voice did not fit this character at all and like anytime this character spoke i'm like oh my god this is, does not seem like the right voice this character. <laughs> but i didn't really understand who everyone was aside from like the sullies like i did, forgot who everyone was supposed to be i didn't even get that so you did better than me so i i couldn't tell the two sully brothers apart i know they gave them different hairstyles but i forgot to keep track i didn't know a single person's name besides jake sully they kept saying names and my brain could not process the names what about what about kitty that's the only one i knew that was it that was it everyone else was just kind of a collection of sounds that my brain couldn't process into like being words like i i don't know why my brain could not wrap around anything about this movie like lore wise Except like, oh, that's that's cool. That looks nice. So like, I don't know if my brain was if I'm just too stupid for this film, or if it was just so confusing that like the lore and stuff. Like I was like, I don't like the, none of this is like catching me at all. But the, go ahead. No, go ahead. To add on to your point, um, I I, re- I realized that you know if you're planning a whole five movie series, which by the way. You got you got to ramp up your antagonist game for the next one. I'm gonna say that now. But if you're, I, I understand that you got to, you know, not every plot point is gonna pay off right away. Not every bit of lore is gonna necessarily come through or or make sense right away. But the problem problem is that it sounds like me and you, Tyler, are both having, is that we got all this lore, and then by the time the next movie, we just don't care enough to remember it so by the time the next movie comes out we're gonna forget all about it and it's gonna be like what what does that mean yeah it's just gonna get messier and messier well there were clear callbacks to the other movie like to the first movie that like just bounced right off me and i'm like Mm -hmm. i know they're referencing something but i've i can't tell you what it is so i'm like yeah that's a cool reference i guess that i don't understand uh just the fact that the antagonist bringing back the same antagonist was such mm-hmm. a stupid idea like we already saw this antagonist <laughs> like he was already defeated spoilers for the first one you already defeated him and you're just bringing him back now but he's navi <laughs> yeah but now he's navi Te- technically that was a that was a bit of a surprise to me because they they kept that one under wraps for a while yeah like they fair. never really went I- into him coming back yeah, I didn't know either. I just want to bring up Edie Falco's response to this movie. Did anyone hear about that? I oh, did, no. Yeah. Oh, so Edie Falco was in this film. I, I couldn't tell you where. I don't know where she was. 
She was um, the general. The, yeah, the she was the, oh, the general was, lady. I couldn't even she had the, the mech suit. Yes. Okay, yes, I forgot. She just kind of disappeared midway through the movie and then was never brought up again. I liked it when she had the mech suit and she was drinking the cup of coffee when her actual hand could have been empty. closer yeah. to her mouth than the robot arm. <laughs> but anyway, she apparently forgot she was in this because she filmed her scenes like four years ago. So she just assumed it came out and didn't do well, and she never heard about it again. So she was shocked to hear it was coming out. I, <laughs> I just find that funny. But anyway, what I what was I just about to say about this film? Oh my god! Oh, like the fish, the fish scene with the fish. I could not care about the fish, and they spent so much time on the fish, the outcast fish. Didn't oh, can't wait the, to the talk about things. the outcast yes. fish. And it's also. Coming. I just want to bring up a thing I had with this. We watched in the first movie how he had to struggle to become a Navi. And we watched him learn the ways of the Navi. Why are we now learning, watching Navi learn the ways of other Navi again? It's the same thing. It's, it's the, the same, same movie. Thing. <laughs> Not to mention the general picks this stuff up in like two seconds. There's, there's a scene in the beginning of this movie where they're like, you guys are Na'vi, that means you can infiltrate the enemy. And then they're immediately like, oh my god, those are enemies. And I'm like, what? You just... <laughs> what was the whole point of them being Na'vi? Yeah, the beginning was very <laughs> rushed. I think it's safe to say that... So I, I've been so negative on so many films this fall, and that's not how I like to be, but I'm also not going to lie. And so I was pumped for this. I, I think it's safe to say I was the most excited out of all of us for yes. Avatar The Way of Water. Mm -hmm. I did watch the original film in close proximity to this one, and I just didn't like this movie very much at all. Within 10 to 15 minutes, I said a couple of things to myself, but one of the things I said was, oh, this is going to be bad. Like I knew it pretty soon and was hoping it would turn around, and just for me it did not. I'll talk about the visual experience. I saw it in 3D IMAX, you know, with the high frame rate, with the underwater motion capture and all the other stuff, I'm not going to deny the technological achievements for this are astounding. I genuinely have never seen anything that looks like this. I don't know if that's good or bad or if it's neither, right? I We mentioned the video game thing. It genuinely looked like that in the beginning it was really blowing me away. I'm like, whoa, this is, this really is something new. And there are many beautiful things in a movie, in the movie, but after a while, it was just not worth the script that we have to sit through. The script is like borderline terrible. The characters are so flat. It's all over the place. It's a strange retread of the first movie. Pandora, especially like... James Cameron seems to have communicated such a vision. It seems like such an expansive world with so much story potential. Then it's just the villain from the first one who's reborn as a Navi and tries to get revenge on the guy he was trying to kill the first time? Like, and that's what we got? Can I just interject here? Yeah. They do that, and there's no purpose, because it's not like he sees what it's like to be Navi or anything. He's just a bad Navi. Like, there's no reason for it. You would think that would be, like, some come back at some point, and it just doesn't. He's just the bad guy, but now he's Navi. Yeah, it's so I, I do like the setup of them having to go to another part of Pandora. Okay, I like that. The dialogue is so cliche surface low. If I heard bro one more time, <laughs> I was going to bro. lose it. Why are they saying bro in Pandora? Is there like a Navi equivalent of bro? Like enough with because, the bro. Jake Sully introduced it. It's because the first movie came out 13 years ago and bro was not as commonly used. Where yeah. this movie came out 13 years later, so now bro is commonly used. The decent characters from the first one they're just reduced to single notes and it just goes for so long with these tangents that are totally unnecessary for instance sam worthington as jake scully sam worthington side note um i i like him i just i realized looking over his career that if it were not for avatar i would have zero idea who he is <laughs> right. mm -hmm. and i'm not saying that to to like be mean or anything i'm really not uh, I like him. I was, I just, it was shocked me. I'm like, oh, well, surely he's had like maybe a couple of other things. I mean, he was, 
Rise he was in one the of the Titans. Titans. Yeah, the Titans. And he was in one of the new Terminators. Um, Salvation, I think. I could be wrong about that. Yes. But I'm like, without Avatar, I wouldn't know who this guy is, which is crazy because it's the biggest movie that there ever was. Uh, he's Jake Scully. He's in his Sully. Navi body. The, is it Sully? It's Jake Sully. Oh, okay. I'll get rid of the C that I have here. Whoops. <laughs> Um, so I in the first one I found his character not super well developed but interesting enough right he is like the reject twin but his other twin dies and he was supposed to go on this Pandoran mission so they get the twin who they already made the avatar body for okay here he's just an angry father and nothing else every single scene he's like son you're a piece of crap you're a delinquent you're a degenerate i can't believe that i raised sons who are so disrespectful and irresponsible that's that's the entire character that's all he does i think he's just mad because he can't tell the difference between his two sons because neither could i i couldn't either no all right so there's him Zoe Saldana as Neytiri, who I thought was a good character from the first one, who is reduced to snarling. That's what she does. That's what they let her do, is is snarl when things get hairy. I, I thought that was ridiculous. How could you not have explored her character more in this one? I like, Especially their parents now, and there was so much more room for development and growth in their new roles in life. But I, both of them are just cardboard cutout characters. It was bad. Uh, Stephen Lang is the colonel. He's pretty cartoonish in the first one. And they cranked that up to about a thousand with this. <laughs> His character like exits for a while. And then we're expected just to come back to him. I not I He was... He was fine. I, I like Stephen Lang. I just, I could not get into this. Here's my big issue with the new characters, is that there's no, like, introduction for them. It's just a bunch of blue children running around, and you don't know who is who. Uh, and one human child named Spider. Don't worry. We'll, we'll get to him. Don't you worry. Spider will not be forgotten. So, Sigourney Weaver is Kiri, who is the adopted daughter Sigourney Weaver, I love with my whole heart. Um, I don't know, like you guys said, why she is voicing a teenager, because she just doesn't have a teenager's voice. She has a beautiful voice. Not for a teenager. It was, like, really off-putting. Mm. It's fine if it can pass, but it didn't. It was like, this is supposed to be a teenager, Navi? I, like, I, I just didn't buy it, unfortunately. I found the character pretty interesting maybe we can talk about why a little bit later in spoilers um jamie flatters was neteam neteam the oldest son i couldn't tell the difference between the two sons one of them had an accent one of them didn't i have i have no idea why one of them was accented and one was not no clue and the other one is loak who i cannot wait to talk about his side story with the tolkien the will like creature and then Took, who is the youngest daughter. Don't know why Took was there. Um, I like Took. I don't. I don't know what she was doing there. They didn't give her much. In this three-hour movie, we get more about the whale than we get about one of the main character's daughters, which I thought was a little absurd. Were you guys able to distinguish between the brothers at all? Not at all. In fact, I just learned what their names are when you just said them. <laughs> Honestly, I was able to catch on after a little bit. It took some time, but I was able to catch on. I'm impressed. I, I gave have... up midway through the movie. I was just like, yeah, one of them, something happened to one of them. <laughs> yeah. We we get the unofficial fifth child with Spider. I didn't see he. So he is a human child who was left behind in the human labs and was like raised half in the labs and half in Pandora. So he is like Pandora Navi raised human. Think wild thornberries. Uh, mm -hmm. I I didn't understand the use of this character. He has the worst dialogue. His dialogue is just screaming, leave me alone! And then bro, every other word. And... <laughs> That's his dialogue. There's a weird father-son thing with the <laughs> colonel going on. I, I just, when we when talk you guys about explain spoilers, that? 
Okay, oh, you want to wait? I, I do, because I want to speak about the end that was not, not set up at all. <laughs> no, it was not. I, and then Cliff Curtis is like the the water lord. <laughs> Tanawari, the chief of the Reef People clan. There, there we go. Not the water guy. Kate Winslet is like the matriarch of that. I... For all the talk about Kate Winslet holding her breath for longer than anybody on a film set, I I wouldn't have known that this was her, like, at all. I was able to clock Cliff Curtis, because I love Cliff Curtis, and not that I don't love Kate Winslet. Um, didn't know that that was her. And then Edie Falco, I just thought, had a ridiculous role. I don't, I don't know what that was. I don't think it needed to be in the movie at all. So like I mentioned before, I did like that the family are exploring a new part of Pandora, right? And it is this thing of like, oh, they're refugees, they're in a new land. But Tyler, like you said, they just, like in the first one, Jake has to learn how to work with the animals. And in this one, they just have to work with the water animals. And half of this movie is just people making fun of other people who can't master things the first time that they do them. <laughs> They're like, oh, that guy fell out of a fish. He's a moron. <laughs> yeah, he's never yeah. ridden a fish before. Yeah, it's the, fir- it's the first movie, but in water. But in it's the way of water. And then but- the next one is going to be the, sa- the same movie, but in a volcano. <laughs> the way of fire. The way of fire. <laughs> but also, like... It- the, the dumbest thing was that, like, okay, you're making fun of these Navi, but you can't do what the forest Navi can do, so, <laughs> like, why don't you try flying a creature? Why do you need the water creatures? You can use the flying creatures that you had. It's the way of water to make fun of newcomers. It's the way of water. <laughs> They're like, ah, you don't have a big tail. <laughs> okay? <laughs> That's so stupid. Yeah, did you were you guys affected at all by any of the family messaging in the movie? No, the, the, no. It, like it, the movie was best when it left that out, and then randomly Jake Sully would be like, "Family is good," and I'm like, "Okay, thanks for that narration." <laughs> yeah, that that was it. The random narration that just pops in every so often, just because. J- yeah, just just in case we didn't get that family is good and they stick together. Also, I like in the very beginning when it's like, yeah, we popped out some kids. It was paradise. And then the humans came back. And yeah. it, like, it just happened like so suddenly. And you're like, this is this is very clear, like sci-fi sequel stuff. That is also, not good. Also, real... the whole first movie was about how they beat the humans and kicked them out. And then the humans just came back. Come on. Like, yeah. I can't think of any other like antagonist force. Then just the humans returned. Somehow some, the humans have returned. I was just going to say, some real Rise of Skywalker vibes in this movie. Yeah, at the end of the first one, they were never like, oh, hey, what, you think we should maybe like make a plan if they ever come back? No, they're never coming back. We beat them for good. Ridiculous. It, it is a Disney property, technically, so I guess it checks out. Yes, that's true. But it does give us the best line of the film when he's like, babies can't be sent back in cryosleep, moron, or whatever. Like, he's supposed to just know that. Well, that's, uh, I, mean, I don't know. He's, well, I guess he would know that, but we, we're just supposed to be like, oh, yeah, that's right. This guy's an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I, let me, I'll praise some of the visuals for a second. I thought the kelp forest chase with, like, those crab-like mechanical things that was pretty cool i like that I, the sea creature all the ocean stuff looks great it's like astounding it's really awesome kiri making all those yellow fish like move with her in a school the glowing wings of the, like the bird creatures that they fly in the darkness that was really blowing me away uh I, we're gonna get to spoilers right now so spoilers for avatar the way of water okay i cannot wait to talk about Loak and the Tolkien, which is the whale-like creature. So he's stranded by the other boys, by the ocean boys. I will say the sea creature that was like attacking him in open water, that was a genuinely terrifying moment. So I thought that was pretty good. Movie could have used more of that stuff. So he's saved by the Tolkien. They bond. And then it 
Like, it should have just been that. It should have just been, okay, now he has an ocean ally. But now it's like, <laughs> he learns that it's unusual for the Tolkien to be alone. They usually are in pairs. And he, he has to find out why this Tolkien is alone. This lasted so long. <laughs> that once he finds out... The, the, <laughs> the Tolkien's made a code years ago that you don't kill. <laughs> How do they eat? And what do they eat? <laughs> Cliff Curse's character is like flipping out. He's like, they made a code and he broke the code. He's meant to be alone. <laughs> These hunters killed his whole family, but the code is a code. That was so ridiculous. I don't I don't know what that added to the movie. But that was one of my favorite parts. Also that that set up like, oh, there's dangerous creatures in the ocean. And then, like, there's no more dangerous creatures in the ocean. It was just that one. <laughs> the sea is fine. Humans are the dangerous creatures in the ocean. I was just going to say, I'm shocked that they didn't say that. All right, so I have... I, this is what is baffling to me, is that James Cameron, lover of the ocean, hello, we're, we're, we're kins in that. I, I feel like I would just prefer him to make a movie about human beings that do something heroic in the ocean. I And, like, I'm not a imagination, fantasy, naysayer by any means. Whatever you want to do, do it. I just feel like, personally, I would be more moved by him making a film about people doing something for the real-world ocean. I, I think that would be great, and I would love for him to do that in the future. Um, I, I don't know. How, how does that sound to you guys? Uh, yeah, he, yeah, he could do that and then just steal a story beat from Free Willy. <laughs> that, hey, fine. Do whatever you got to do. Also, this thing... Free Willy's like... meant to be alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Free Willy, there was a code! All the Willies got together! <laughs> Ridiculous. Also, like, the Tolkien oil, the guy was like, yeah, this stops human aging. Like, what? You're just going to throw that in there and then it just is nothing? I don't well, even remember that. <laughs> it's it's like when they made Kiri epileptic for some reason. So what, what my thinking with that was, so um, the human doctors come in and they're like, oh, she's having a seizure, she's epileptic. And then Kate Winslet, Ronal... Um, who is like the who cares for Kiri? She's like, ah, get out of the way. You guys don't know anything. So I don't know if it was like a rejection of like Western medicine and diagnoses, like, oh, we think she has mental, you know, whatever, something going on in her brain, but really it's a superpower or something like that. I, I don't really know. I was kind of confused by that myself. I think it was meant to. I don't know. Maybe be like an empowering thing, like oh, we shouldn't shouldn't assume something's wrong. But then she goes back and uses the tree again later in the movie, does she not? Like, but it works nothing... out for her. That yeah, time. and nothing happens. So, like, what was the point? I think it was like, oh, you guys who think there's something wrong with her, get out of here. You're wrong. That's oh. that's what it seemed to be. I felt personally attacked by that, honestly, <laughs> by that logic. Yeah, I. It wasn't great. It was not executed wonderfully. Let's talk about the father-son thing uh, between Spider and the Colonel. Uh, Tyler, go nuts. So they specifically, repeatedly, like, just go like, oh, he's not my son. And then they have no father-son relationship through it. He's literally just a prisoner, which this kid literally gives up everything immediately. He's like, oh, I know where you can find Jake Sully. I'm like, wait, you just got captured. <laughs> He's no, like, they put they, him they, in the little spinning head so, thing. So they torture him, and that doesn't work. So then the colonel is like, you're my son. And he's like, yeah, you're right. Let me tell you where my my, my like adoptive parents are. Like, <laughs> There was no payoff to that. They don't act like a father and son throughout. And then you get at the ending fight, where she's like, a son for a son. Which... 
all Zoe Saldana gets in this, like you said, is to be, like, sneering and, like, she just gets angry at everything. It's, like, such a reduction of the character just to be like, ah, I'm mad, I'm gonna, like, my kids keep getting captured and I'm angry. Like, <laughs> you've captured the kids, like, 16 times in this film. <laughs> but anyway, so she's all mad, so she's gonna kill Spider. And he's like, I don't care. He's not my real son. I'm not even the same species. And then she goes to actually kill him. He's like, no, wait. And I'm like, what? You don't give a shit about this kid. Yeah. <laughs> this was not earned at all. <laughs> I agree. Also, the Edie Falco character seems like personally offended that he would think that Spider was his son. She's like, he's not your son. And it's like, okay. I don't, like, whatever. What I don't- do you care, lady? To your point about, like, him not wanting to sacrifice Spider, I don't know if that was, like, maybe it was, like, oh, family is so powerful that even the colonel who's who said that he would literally go to hell if he could get revenge on Jake, that even he has a bit of humanity if it comes to, like, a child relationship. I don't know. I, I don't what? think it was well executed <laughs> no, at all. Not at all. You know what would, have, what would have made this movie better is if him and Jake had gone to hell and then they stripped naked and started to fight inside of a volcano. Oh. <laughs> like in the Northman. This, this is like three straight episodes where you've made a connection to the Northman. Wow. Um, the So Kiri's seeing human Sigourney Weaver in this what was that for? What did you guys get from that? Just to get Sigourney Weaver some screen time outside of voice acting. Mm-hmm. Like the whole Stephen Lang scene, too. That's all that was. Yeah, I mean, that was a nice like beginning here. We're, we're telling you what's going down. So Giovanni Ribisi, who I thought was one of the strong points of the first movie. I think he's pretty funny in it. He gets a, a nice little cameo here. I'm curious if they brought him back. Um just to do like that three seconds of on screen or if they had maybe already recorded i don't know i don't know if actually no i don't think they ever did any work for the second one but i could be wrong yeah i i don't know i this was just all so thinly done which is fine like i understand it's an epic and so they want several storylines going but it's like you gotta hit the marks if you're gonna do that or else it just seems like a very messy mosaic and it doesn't work the final fight i thought was pretty good but i was just zoned out by then and it like it didn't really rope me back in the stuff with like the cable on the boat was interesting the guy getting his arms severed was like fascinating because you know this is a a movie with navi so like human gore I felt like was more jarring because yeah. you don't you don't see it often. So I was like, oh, that, that's an interesting choice to have one guy's arm get ripped off. Speaking of the hunters, a tragic underuse of Jermaine Clement. He was good in what he did, but he like they hardly even really did anything with him. Yeah, I agree, and I like Jermaine Clement a lot. Um, but I agree. I I thought he was he was good. For what he did i still think that whole storyline of uh and again he was an interesting character because he was a scientist who was interested in his topic but it seemed to either through personal choices or to get his research done he has to join these hunters who are seem to be against what he believes in so again another interesting character not utilized unfortunately jake and the colonel's final fight at uh, fine very fine as far as I, fights I, go. I cannot believe they kept the colonel alive. If he's the antagonist of the third one, I'm going to be like, come on, you can't use the same antagonist three separate times. Yeah, but Matt, like, Matt, how did you say it was going to well, go? So I, I got this from Tyler because I think he was the one that oh. brought this up first. So the next movie, he's going to go and become a fire Navi but then the colonel's going to get resurrected as a water Navi. So he's always <laughs> yes, going to be yes, one step behind. Yes. Yes, that's <laughs> oh, that's right. And it's it's going to end up as a mashup with uh, Pixar's Elemental. Yeah. And everything will just be one big IP, IP item. 
Loak's death, I'm like currently trying to picture in my mind what that even looked like, and I can't do it. I, I can't. He like bled out on a rock, and yeah. everyone just kind of was like, ah, oh, damn, that sucks. Now we're angry. <laughs> also, did you notice how like the water Navi dipped like halfway through the final battle? <laughs> that's they? true. They did just like, <laughs> like, ah, that's all we came for. Jake, it's up to you now. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they could easily be like, oh, we were in the water. We were there was, supporting. <laughs> there was like there was like no clear point where they broke off though. I just remember thinking like the battle had been going on for a while and then I was thinking about it like it was down to like the Sullies and the Colonel. And I'm just like, wait a minute, where'd all the water people go? They're like, oh, it's dinner time. <laughs> especially especially at the point where like the place that the ship that they're that's sinking is being surrounded by fire in the water, like the water <laughs> people couldn't help with that like the no, fire they didn't care. like yeah they're ruining our environment it's fine there was just like, like there was just a strong wave that pushed them all away <laughs> like, oh like, no we can't get past these waves like did, I, I, that, I thought that was kind of weird yeah i was not emotionally affected by by loak's death unfortunately <laughs> i i but... gotta i gotta say that was one of the least emotional deaths of any character in any film but as they say you can't be alone as a Loak. You have to have another Loak beside you, or else you're an outcast. And once you're an outcast, your family might as well put you down. So there you go. That's the rules of Pandora. Uh, so Cliff Curtis, as the, what did I say he was? The chief of the Reef People clan. He tells the Sully family that they're ocean people now. Jake agrees. He's like, this is our home my question is, what are the people back in the forest thinking? Are they like, are they ever coming back? No? Because I know that he relinquished his, his role as leader, but he's like, oh, this is where we make our stand. We're ocean people now. The enemies are gone. You can go home. <laughs> the stand has been made. Especially, you can go. I found that funny because like the son died with his last thing saying, like, I want to go home. And then you're like, no, nah, this is our home. We are home. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> like, it's just... I'm waiting for this crossover with the MCU, though, where we get the Talokan and the Water Navi in, like, a battle. No, they're not on the same side. won't be able to tell side. them apart. That's, no. that's what Kate Winslet character is going to give birth to uh, <laughs> Namor. Oh, yeah, like Namor's said. mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just, and again, it was just... It was just the ending of the first one, right? Jake discovers his home in the forest with the Navi. He's like, "I this is what I am now. This is my home. And in this one, it's like, all right, we went to the ocean people. We learned the ocean ways. We are ocean people. Well, just, it's the just same wait, thing. Just wait for Avatar 4 when Aang from The Last End of Airbender shows up <laughs> to show him how to be an air Navi. <laughs> I, one line that like stuck with me throughout this like since watching this movie is when he's putting his son to rest in the water and he's like they say all energy is uh, borrowed and you have to give it back I'm like what, <laughs> what do you mean? that's from the first one is it yeah oh I don't even remember that I was yeah. so confused because I'm like is there supposed to be a meaning behind that it just seems like not it just means you live and you die that's all <laughs> that it so means stupid. it's <laughs> he said what, it what, like what? it was some like deep shit and... <laughs> look sorry. look man whatever happens happens and then we're gone yes yes very much so in the wise words of sebastian J. cricket yeah that was a good movie do you guys want to see the next avatar i could not care less yeah no i'll watch it i'm not gonna be excited for it I'll watch it too. I don't want to see it for a while, though. Yeah, well, uh, exactly. don't worry. We're decades removed. <laughs> Each one has to take twice as long to make, so we're looking at twenty-six years. Yeah. Do you? How much do you guys think this will make? Do you think that it will get anywhere near the first one? Not at all. I can already tell now, because I've had people, at, surprisingly, people ask me for my movie opinions outside of the podcast who would have thought um i've had people that have asked me like oh what'd you like and i'm like ah it's okay they're like okay i'm i'm gonna wait i'm not going to the theater for three hours i'm like smart move yeah i don't but <laughs> however i will say 
I think if you watch this at home, even if you don't like the movie in the first place, it's gonna be a big downgrade. Yes, that that is that is the one thing. Like without the advantage of seeing it on a big screen and like the highest quality possible, yeah, the story is not gonna hold up well on streaming. I don't think. I will say that Michelle Yeoh is in the next one, so. Oh, I. This is a going to be a very interesting test because, you know, it's we are as far as movie going habits and the theater world goes. We are worlds away from two thousand and nine. It is completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, the that was not a world of oh, I'm just going to wait three weeks and it's going to be on HBO and I'm, this is not going to be on HBO in three weeks. But that's that's the world we live in now. Uh, you know, even even us who are like psyched to see everything, it's like sometimes it's like eh, I only have time for so many things. I'm gonna wait until this thing comes out on Peacock or whatever. And I I'm curious as to the comparison between the box office of the first one and this one. I, I don't think it's gonna make. I don't know if it'll make nearly as much money. I could be wrong, but if it doesn't. I'm curious as to how much that has to do with word of mouth, with the quality of the movie, with kind of sequel loss interest, and how much of that fraction is people just aren't going to the movies as much or they're just getting their content at home. Um, I don't know if we'll ever get the answer to that. I don't think that we will, but it's, you know, I was just thinking about it. It's a completely different world from, from one sequel to the next. Although... It's, it's an interesting comparison point to Top Gun Maverick, which just made so much money they don't even know what to do with it. So, It's an interesting thing that. to think about, for sure. And I definitely think the listeners should chime in if I they have too. any thoughts. I do too, and you know how they can do that? They can follow us, shout us out on Twitter, Instagram, at Screensavers Pod, anytime, day or night, we'll get to you. You can write to us at silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com. If you like the show, you could really help us out a lot. Rate, review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whichever platform you use. And our Facebook is Silver Screensavers Podcast. Matt, where can you be found online? You can find me over at Maddie X Sturds, S T U R D Z. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Tyler. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Tyler Sitkus and on Letterboxd at Tyler96. Well, that is it for us. Thank you for listening. Until then, we eat Navi, we live Navi, we think Navi, we swim Navi. Goodbye, Navi. Say Navi. And stay down to bone. Navi. Silver Screen Savers podcast is hosted and produced by Michael Gallett, Tyler Sukkis, and Matt Sturdivant, with additional editing by Matt Sturdivant, intro music by Charles Michelle via Pixabay, logo designed by Nathan Seidel.